It's Sunday morning. Time for the great outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on Christmas Eve. Thank you for joining me, and I hope you have a fabulous holiday season already and what's yet to be completed, and certainly tomorrow being Christmas Day. So in the spirit of the season, every year for many, many years, I've done the show before Christmas on what we might hope for if Santa Claus were to be really kind to us and we were to get all the things we hope for over the holiday season. And I'm going to start off this show doing the exact same thing. So I'm going to start off with the subject which I began early last year talking about, and that's civility. Civility and conservation and how we can move forward. So we're headed for an election year which means that there'll be lots of rhetoric. There'll be fiery rhetoric. There'll be rhetoric on the national level to do with conservation, rhetoric on the state level. And in an election year, we tend to wonder, when are we going to talk about really important issues to conservation and and how we can get national politics to focus on some of the things that are so critical to the future well-being of our environment, and the conservation movement in America. So I'm going to start off by saying, let's be civil to each other, which we often are not. And maybe that could be the first thing that comes down the chimney this year as a Christmas wish is that disparate parties in the conservation field and elsewhere just stop making personal attacks and start working for the better good overall. And in the conservation field, This is an enormous year as we have the farm bill in front of us, which always shapes the future of how we're going to treat our lands, particularly our most important lands environmentally, those that are subject to soil erosion, those wind erosion, how we're going to handle things all along our riparian corridors. The farm bill is the single most important element to achieving conservation success in America. Everything else is dwarfed by the size of the Farm Bill and the conservation provisions of the Farm Bill. And as we're looking at the Farm Bill being put together now, we have to recognize in the past few years that we have had tremendous losses in CRP and in the ability to protect fragile soils and therefore soil quality water quality, and even air quality. The nitrogen loads in our rivers is unabated. Uh, Particularly now, we've got these enormous dairies that have moved in across the Snake River Plain in places like Idaho, contributing huge effluent loads to the aquifers. Uh, We're seeing across America a continuing elevation of nitrogen and phosphorus in our rivers, particularly nitrogen. And that is something that is, it's an ultimate pollutant. Yes, nitrogen's a naturally occurring uh, element, but it's not naturally occurring at the kind of levels that we're seeing it now. And we have to do something in the upcoming conservation provisions of the Farm Bill to deal with the nitrogen loads that are coming into our waterways. We also have, have to address the federal crop insurance program and the, frankly, the perverse incentives that it offers for individuals to be able to 
monetize marginal lands under the auspices of the federal crop insurance program. And I don't blame any single landowner who takes advantage of the government, you know, candy machine, if you will, that, that keeps throwing money uh, at the ability to farm lands that are really our most fragile and least productive. But that's what we're doing. The federal crop insurance program, which individuals such as Lynn Churchman, others, and Senator John Thune have been working hard to try to get rid of the provisions in it that really encourage the farming of marginal lands. We, we have to be successful there. And I know so many of you in agriculture listen to the Great Outdoors show, and certainly I appreciate that. And I think many of you would be in agreement that when we are subsidizing the production of crops on lands that are not well suited for crops, that we undermine the entire integrity of agriculture. We have this incentive to continue to break native prairie and the farm area. And of course, in Illinois, there, there is no native prairie left to break. But we, we continue to break native prairie in Iowa, the Dakotas, Minnesota, Montana, Kansas, Nebraska. And we do so under the auspices of the federal crop insurance program, which enables a landowner to basically have a guarantee that by breaking that native prairie, they can't lose money. And the ever-increasing tiling that's taking place, it is shocking. I was recently in South Dakota and in Nebraska, and you see these huge yards of rolled-up plastic tile waiting to be laid, which only means further drainage of wetlands, and it means that we're going to continue to see an erosion in the ability for us to recharge aquifers. So the Farm Bill is a very, very big part of what we have to accomplish in 2024 in this election year. We, We really have to get some benefits for society that come with our tax dollars that clean up our waters, stop the absolute drainage of wetlands, and and also stops the breaking of grasslands. When I come back from the break, I will talk more about what we might hope for under the tree or in the holiday season in the coming year. There are definitely some things that can be accomplished in the near term that would make a big difference for conservation. The Farm Bill, obviously, being the biggest of them all. I'll be back in just a moment. Thank you for joining me. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN, and first a message from a longtime sponsor the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. Hiking, camping, and hunting, it's all an adventure in the great outdoors, but nature can be tough. You need to be ready for anything and everything. Chevy Silverado is built to handle the toughest conditions and get you everywhere you want to go worry-free. Silverado's designed to handle the big jobs. It's built for the great outdoors. With over 13,000 pounds of towing capacity and trailering sway control, Silverado can haul the biggest loads on the roughest roads and keep you cool as a Sunday drive. With eight available cameras and up to 14 different views, it can spot trouble before it gets to you. That's peace of mind. And when you're ready for the backcountry, Chevy Silverado 1500ZR2 owns the off-road. You name it, we run over it. No wonder it's Motor Trend's 2023 four-wheeler pickup truck of the year. 
So see your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and check out a Chevy Silverado. It's freedom to explore the great outdoors. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. On this Christmas Eve, you're kind to join me this morning, and I hope you have a fabulous holiday season. So I was talking at the top of the show about things we hope for during this holiday season if Santa were to come down the chimney and deposit a bag full of gifts for for conservation, what he might bring. And I talked about civility and it being an election year and the farm bill. I want to talk now about one of the major presents that could correct a really bad policy decision in Manitoba, which is a reversal of the province of Manitoba's absolutely absurd lottery system for waterfowl hunters which was a complete sellout to outfitters and which was went into effect last year. This past fall, the government in Manitoba that promulgated this on Americans was actually thrown out of office. I can't say this was the reason they were thrown out of office, but certainly it proved to be enormously unpopular with rural Manitoba. As we've talked on the year before, and I have many friends in Manitoba, and with all due respect to them, at least those who were in the decision-making process and having this go through, they really blew it. They blew it because they did not build a constituency around them. They never talked to rural Manitoba. The only people they were talking to were the outfitters who wanted to get an exclusive license to reduce the number of Americans hunting in Manitoba, and they were successful. This past year had the fewest number of Americans hunting in Manitoba, in anyone's memory, in recorded history, and it's likely to only get worse. So it's, I understand from individuals that I've been in touch with who contacted me that it looks very promising that the new government is going to reverse the policy of the previous government and throw out this requirement that there be a lottery system for non-resident waterfowl hunters in Manitoba. That would be fantastic news if that indeed can come come to pass. So what about water in the West? We talk a lot about water in the West, and this past year we saw unprecedented moisture. We saw Tulare Lake in California coming back into being after having been basically gone for, uh, well, over 100 years. And I was with some individuals recently who are well familiar with that area, the Central Valley of California, and they did confirm what I have heard and reported on earlier is that There has been as much as 10 feet to 12 feet of subsidence in parts of the Central Valley and, in fact, in part of the Tulare Lake area. That subsidence over time is coming because of the massive draining of the underground aquifers with with well water being pumped. So if there's a solution to come in the coming year, as we sort of say under that great holiday present tree, how about beginning to change water policies in the West? so that we recognize what is important to the sustainability of the future of society. And that is going to mean changing laws. This, this idea of first in use, first in line, and that water rights go back to the 1880s uh, is the way the law is written in most states. 
but it's not exactly practical in 2024 or about to be 2024. One of the things that California is doing, which is really interesting, is they are using the power of Google technology and satellites and everything else to quantify what landowners actually have been doing with water. And I expect that California, as it often is, sometimes not in the most positive way, but California is going to lead the way in challenging landowners on their water rights, either for overusing water and therefore taking water rights away, or by saying you have not actually used all the water rights that you have, and therefore they're abandoned. But this notion that we can continue to just push this down the road and it's not going to impact us is is, is a fallacy at this point. And as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I attended the water conference in Salt Lake City, and there was a great deal of discussion about the over-appropriation of the Colorado River water, 19 million acre feet of Colorado River water if it appropriated, but there's only about 13 million acres in the system. So they got 6 million acres appropriated that actually doesn't exist. So some sensibility in water would be a great thing to see in the new year. How about this notion of R3, recruit, retain, reactivate hunters? It's, it is consuming the conservation community. And I have, a, I have a thought, again, if Santa wants to just drop a present under the tree, one of the things we might do is to get rid of the onerous requirements for first-time hunters to go through hunter safety. Hunter safety is not a hunter safety class. It's online in most places, but still, it's, it's a class designed about gun safety, and it's not about hunter safety, and it requires you to learn about black powder and archery and all these things that may be totally superfluous to your hunting experience. The single biggest impediment in having had kids who just came through the age group where they had to take hunter safety classes, two of them in person and the last one online, I can assure you that from personal experience, the issue of having to sit down and take an online course or appear in person to take a hunter safety course before you can get get a hunting license is the primary cause of young individuals not getting a hunting license. And by the way, it's not only young people anymore. If you were born after 1982, I believe that's the year you have to get a hunter safety course. So we have individuals who are 41 years old in need of having a hunter safety course. So as I said for a long time, you want to ask your neighbor to go hunting with you. First thing you got to say is, oh, do you have a hunter safety course certificate? And they say, no, I've never hunted before. Well, you got to get that before I can take you. It's a huge impediment. So maybe when Santa comes down the tree, excuse me, down the chimney, he might just wave a wand and, and encourage all the states to get rid of hunter safety. It's not helping anything. Hunter apprentice programs are far better. A number of states have developed really good hunter apprentice programs. Let's go that route. And when it comes to this idea of recruit, reactivate, and retain, we also, I think, need to really think about where are these individuals that we're trying to recruit going to hunt, and what are they going to hunt? It's a very complex issue, but in 2024, hopefully we can make much progress in this area because it is an area where we are fundamentally creating impediments to people to be able to go hunting. At the same time, we're spending a tremendous amount of money trying to recruit more people to go hunting. doesn't make a lot of sense. 
Something else that doesn't make a lot of sense that maybe in 2024 we can change. How about the way conservation is funded? What I mean by that is right now the hunting and fishing community pays the overwhelming amount of the, of the bills for conservation. It's long been suggested that other entities provide the uh, revenue that hunting and fishing provide, particularly when they're enjoying our natural resources the way people who hunt and fish are. If you go to a state park, if you go to a national park, you go to, a, you go to any place where federal or state dollars are used that provide you with the opportunity to recreate, chances are a lot of that money was provided by people who hunt and fish, not provided by people who just simply enjoy it. So perhaps in the coming year, we'll make some progress in broadening the base of support for conservation funding. And, and one of the ways we can do that is to look at the federal duck stamp program, which is the single most effective program for conservation really ever designed certainly can have much more support and it could be along the lines of anyone who uses federal property, whether that be a national wildlife refuge, whether that be Yellow National Park or whatever, maybe the federal duck stamp program should be part of that admissions fee as well. Because for the past almost 80 years, it's been duck hunters who've been paying the bills to create wetlands and provide waterfowl habitat, which benefits really wetland habitat which benefits everything across America. So there's a lot we can hope for in the new year, but the one thing I really hope we all hope for is that we have a healthy new year. I hope you have a great holiday season. Merry Christmas tomorrow to all of you, and I'll be back in a week to talk about some things for the new year that will be percolating in conservation. Thank you for joining me. This is Charlie Potter in the Outdoor Voice of Chicago in America, 720 WGN.